Wikipedia's Saint of the Day for December 28th. Today we celebrate the Holy Innocents. Because he was unpopular with his people, Judea's King Herod the Great was insecure and fearful of any threat to his throne. A tyrant and master politician, the king was capable of extreme brutality. Matthew's Gospel recalls that Herod was greatly troubled when astrologers from the east came asking the whereabouts of the newborn king of the Jews, whose star they had seen. They were told that the Jewish scriptures named Bethlehem as the place where the Messiah would be born. Cunning and clever, Herod told them to report back to him so that he also could pay homage to the child. The wise men found Jesus and offered him their gifts, but an angel warned them to avoid Herod on their way home. Meanwhile, also warned by a dream, the Holy Family escaped to Egypt. Infuriated, Herod ordered the massacre of all boys two years old and under in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Since Bethlehem was a small town, the number of babies killed was likely between 20 and 26. The church honors these infants as holy martyrs who died for Christ by dying in his place. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I'm Father Richard Kunst with a Papal Minute. Obedience has always been an important quality and trait in the religious life, but one Pope may have taken it to an extreme. When Pope Clement X raised the Benedictine monk, Father Vincenzo Orsini, to be cardinal in 1672, the monk refused. The Pope had to get the abbot primate of the Benedictine order to demand that the priest, under obedience, agree to become a cardinal. Only then did Father Orsini agree to accept the red hat. Two years later, Cardinal Orsini was elected Pope, but Orsini refused the election. Once again, the abbot primate had to be called upon to order Orsini under obedience to accept the election. Orsini agreed on the condition that he could be both Pope and Archbishop of his Diocese of Benevento at the same time. The abbot primate agreed, and so too did Cardinal Orsini, who became Pope Benedict XIII. This has been your Papal Minute. To learn more, visit papalartifacts.com. That is papalartifacts.com. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And this is Real Presence Live. Steve Splonskowski along with... Tom O'Keefe. And uh, we are visiting this hour with Michael Lofton. Um, He's going to join us and talk a little bit about his journey uh, to the Orthodox Church and then back to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but just a reminder of this morning, folks, of the conversation we've been having. If this, we are in the octave of Christmas, so you can still say Merry Christmas to everybody, and you should. Next week, you can say Happy New Year. But this week, continue to say Merry Christmas to everyone that you see. I think, Tom, one of the times I think about when I go into the store, you know, or I'm at the restaurant, you know, all these, all the people in customer service are trained only to say, you know, have a good day or season's greetings until 
you say something to them that indicates that they can say Merry Christmas back. Yeah. And so you remember, they're waiting on your cue that you are a Christian that believes in the birth of Christ. And so give them that cue by saying Merry Christmas as quickly as you can, because then they'll say Merry Christmas back to you. I've seen it every time. Uh, they're just waiting for that cue because they're not supposed to say anything that's religious until you indicate that it's okay. So indicate that it's okay by saying Merry Christmas to everyone you see. Um, and, and again, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, as we're coming to you here r- live on Real Presence Radio, again, Michael Lofton is joining us this hour. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a convert to Catholicism from a Protestant background. I've also had uh, some experience in Eastern Orthodoxy. So um, I'm a Catholic and also the author of a book on um, answering Eastern Orthodoxy. And so the book is kind of the fruit of the journey that I had um, as Eastern Orthodox and some of the struggles that I had there um, and how I found my way to the Catholic faith. Excellent. And, uh, and so, Michael, that, that book is uh, published by TAN Publishing, so I assume you can go up on TAN Publishing um, and look up that book, Answering Orthodoxy, which kind of, like you said, is the fruit of your journey um, from the Orthodox Church to the Catholic Church. Well, it's published by, by Catholic Answers, yes. In fact, if you go to shop.catholic.com, you should be able to get a copy of it at a uh, discounted price directly from them if you go uh, to them instead of maybe Amazon or something like that. All right, well, good. we have good friends at Catholic Answers, so that's even better, ever, a better yeah. place to go because we carry that program right here on Real Presence Radio. So, so uh, let's, let's back up, Michael. Uh, you said you mentioned that you come from a Protestant background um, and, and moved from the Protestant Church, I assume, to the Eastern Orthodox. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, you know, whenever I was Protestant, I had to discern between Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, and a big thing for me was studying the papacy, the Pope, the role of the Pope in Church history and Scripture and the Church Fathers and things like that. And so um, back in 2012, I initially actually went Catholic first because I was convinced, hey, you know, Church history teaches the papacy. It teaches the doctrine about the Pope. Um, which, you know, most Eastern Orthodox don't accept the Catholic understanding of the papacy. So I went Catholic for a while, but then I started noticing a lot of um, difficulties and controversies in the Catholic Church, and after a while I really just started to question, well, did I make the right decision? And I looked back into Eastern Orthodoxy again, and I felt, okay, well, looks like there's some merit to their argumentation. Um, and so after a period of discernment, about three years, I ended up joining Eastern Orthodoxy. and I uh, spent quite some time there, um, but the issue of the papacy continued to still just press on my conscience. And the more and more I studied it, the more and more I realized, okay, well, it looks like at the end of the day, the Catholic perspective on the papacy is true, regardless of whether or not there's controversies in the Catholic Church and there's difficulties in embracing uh, the papacy, that's where the truth is. And so it's um, received back into communion with Catholicism. And this book is kind of the fruit of that whole experience of, you know, kind of going back and forth between Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy and all of the doctrinal considerations that have to be examined. Michael, as you, uh, backing up just a little bit, because I, I love how 
the Lord works. There's always, uh, you know, <clears throat> even in these rabbit holes in our lives, there's a little bit of truth that we're seeking, we're, we're striving after. And I'm, I'm, I can't help but imagine or wonder in my mind, what was the thing about, I, I know, so I know pushing you away from the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, was these controversies. But what drew you towards the Orthodox Church? What, do you, can you, have you pinpointed uh, some things that have like, you know, this was really, there was some truth here that, that drew me there. Um, yeah, yeah, a big thing was the liturgy. You know, um, locally I had some negative experiences with the liturgy and uh, in the Catholic Church, whereas in the uh, Eastern Orthodox Communion, I, I just found a very different experience liturgically. So I was very, very much drawn to that, and that with a number of other factors made me have to kind of rework through some of the theological questions, like the papacy and other doctrines. But yeah, that was a huge um, point of attraction for me, is, is the divine liturgy. Absolutely. I kind of figured that's what it was. That's kind of why I asked the question, because I know a lot of people are really drawn to the beauty of the liturgy, um, and what people you know, a, lot, a lot struggle with today um, is that in some of our churches, the liturgy is there's not as much focus on making it beautiful. Um, and so there's that, that challenge, that uh, trying to bring that. And there, and there is a, a desire for, for beautiful liturgy uh, that we have. Um, and, and so th- that's a good thing. And uh, so, so traveling from, moving from the Eastern Orthodox into the, the Catholic Church, back to the Roman Catholic Church, um, you said that it really kind of came down to um, really the, the belief in the, the papacy. Correct. And, you know, one thing that really pressed on my conscience to that end was the words of the Second Vatican Council and its document called Lumen Gentium. It speaks about how you cannot be saved if you know that the Catholic Church was, is established by Jesus Christ and you fail to enter it or remain in it. And that last part, remain in it, really pressed on my conscience. So, yeah, I continued to study the papacy and I just saw, look, there are councils that Eastern Orthodox tell, tell me that I must hold to as an Orthodox, and then these councils are affirming the papacy. So at the end of the day, I have to make a decision based on what is objectively true, not based on bad experiences. Um, and so that was kind of the pressing point for me. I see that, um, I was looking at you up online, Michael, and I see that you're doing your doctorate on, on the magisterium. And uh, so it it, it seems like the theme of the papacy and, and the magisterium of the church is really resonates with you. And and why is that so important to us? Why is that so important to us as Catholics, uh, as as part of our faith? Right, that, that's exactly it. And the reason why is Jesus established the teaching authority um, in the New Testament. And that teaching authority continues unto this day. And whenever we consider the question, okay, well, where is that teaching authority today? The continuity is with with the Catholic Church, with its teaching authority, with its magisterium, the Pope and the bishops in communion with them, what we call the College of Bishops. And so seeing that in the first millennium, even in the Eastern tradition, I just see plenty of attestation to the Catholic understanding of teaching authority. Now, if Jesus established this teaching authority, and it continues today in the Catholic Church, I have no other choice but to be in communion, but to be in that Church with this teaching authority, subject to it and learning from it. Because at that point, 
if I dissent from it, if I move away from that teaching authority, I'm moving away from Jesus himself, because this is something that he established. Yeah, because uh, you, you talk about the, the authority and, and, and obedience, and I think that's something that's so difficult to, to, for us is to submit to that obedience, because our tendency is to want to become our own authority, our own teaching authority. Yeah, a lot of us want to be our own pope, as they say. Uh, <laughs> and and there, there certainly is a temptation there, that we want to sit in judgment of the teaching authority. Um, however, Catholic tradition teaches us that we have to have a spirit of humility and docility to the teaching authority of Christ, because when that teaching authority teaches, it speaks with the voice of Christ. So even when it teaches non-infallibly, uh, Pope Pius XII said, that even of those teachings of the Church, Jesus' words, he who hears you hears me, applies to those instances. So if we're sitting in judgment of the magisterium, what we're really doing at the end of the day is we're sitting in judgment of Jesus' teaching authority. So having, having been in the Orthodox Church and, and now back to the Catholic, I mean, do you, do you see that there's a possibility for, for resolution, for, for a reunion uh, of the, well, the two different philosophies yeah well there's certainly a possibility um the i think the problem is going to be that the eastern orthodox are going to have to um embrace their own eastern tradition because their own eastern tradition uh is something that they're currently not embracing entirely and i say that because the eastern tradition itself and their own councils uh teach that jesus established the papacy and that that papacy will not defect from the faith. It won't fall away. Um, it will be undefiled unto the end, as uh, one of their own counsel says. And because of that, and since they're currently not in communion with the Pope, and they, in fact, think that he teaches heresy in the air, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of violating their own tradition. So I do think that there can be reunion between Catholic and Orthodox, but they will have to fully embrace their own tradition on the papacy. That's interesting. I think it's a great point that you make to, to uh, really embrace their own traditions. Um, in many ways, we talk about if, if uh, Protestants really knew what, uh, what Martin Luther taught, they would not agree with what he said. He loved Our Lady, and he, he actually was more liturgical than many of the, uh, the groups that have, have now spun off from there. And so really oftentimes we just have to return back to the original truth um, that uh, that we sprung off from and that'll bring us closer to the lord uh, we have to return to our roots and that's what the lord's always inviting us to that's why we at the, during this christmas season we return back to the roots the root of christ coming as man to bring redemption to mankind i'm gonna make it possible for us to again be in relationship with him and folks we appreciate you being here on real presence live we're going to step away and continue this conversation on the other side of the break Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi. 
This is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. The American Academy of Optometry recommends that all children receive eye exams every two years, beginning at six months old. As one of North Dakota's only fellowship-certified pediatric optometrists, it is my mission to ensure that children are screened for preventable eye conditions like lazy eyes, cataracts, and eye turns. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for children and adults, and you don't need vision insurance to book an appointment. You can schedule your appointment online at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. Uh, I remember even during that time, and, and this was uh, during the beginning years of John Paul II's pontificate, and whenever I heard him on TV, because he was always in the news, especially with his travels in Eastern Europe, Poland and all, I, I would hear the things that would come out of his mouth and I would go, there's no way this person is not close closer to God than I am. Mm. Uh, you know. So I always had this sort of secret respect for uh, for John Paul II. Of course I never said this to any of my <laughs> brethren friends, you know. You wouldn't dare. No, of course not. But I I, I I I don't mean to disparage them because they taught me to love the scripture and interestingly enough, even though they, they do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. They had communion every Sunday, and so they really taught me to love the Lord's Supper uh, and to love the Scriptures, and so I'm really thankful to them for that. Let us run to Mary, and as her little children, cast ourselves in their arms with a perfect confidence. St. Francis de Sales. Join together with families across the local area for the Rosary, nightly here on Real Presence Radio. On Wednesday through Monday nights, tune in at 8 p.m. Central, and on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Central. Gather the whole family together and pray this powerful prayer with us. Join us for the Rosary, Wednesday through Monday at 8 p.m., and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the RPR Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Real Presence Live. Steve Splonskowski along with Tom O'Keefe. And we are continuing our conversation here with Michael Lofton. His journey from actually from the Protestant faith to the Catholic faith, then to the Orthodox faith and back to the Catholic faith. Uh, his journey here sharing that and... Uh, and Michael, we talked over the uh, over the break, or, or actually um, on the other side of the break, just kind of about that journey and how that was, you know, kind of a, a personal opportunity for growth for you and understanding uh, the real roots uh, of of your faith and of uh, a really uh, of this understanding of Christ and His words and scriptures. And of course, we know as the as the Church, when Christ uh, ascended into heaven, right before He ascended to heaven, He handed. Peter a book that said how to run the Catholic Church and then has sent it into heaven, except for he didn't, right? So then the church had to really uh, struggle together um, and, and really listen to the Holy Spirit because the Lord did give them the Holy Spirit. So I guess you could say that was the book that he gave them. He gave yeah. them the Holy Spirit. But uh, over the years, we've had these many ecumenical councils where the church has come together and really defined many of her teachings based upon what Christ said what's in Scripture, and what the traditions uh, of the early apostles have been handing down, handed down upon, uh, to us. And I, I know in some of these, in these, at these ecumenical councils, there was always an opportunity for unity in the church, but also the opportunity for others to dissent and move away from, 
from the teachings of the Catholic Church. So talk to us a little bit about maybe these differences in theology, some of these ecumenical councils where there was some movement away from the Church between the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Yeah, so so in ecumenical council, these are going to be these universal councils that are authoritative for all all Christians, Catholics, and Orthodox. And um, we share seven in common um, with the Eastern Orthodox in the first millennium, and roughly from the year three twenty five to seven eighty seven, we have seven ecumenical councils there that we share in common with them. And again, both Catholics and Orthodox believe these councils are authoritative. And in these councils, we were discussing all kinds of issues that were being debated at the time. Most of them involved questions about Jesus, who he is, you know, is, is Jesus fully God? Um, you know, is he two persons, uh, or one person, is he two natures, one nature, does he have two wills, one will? And, you know, some people might think that, all oh, these are kind of silly, silly debates, but in fact they're not, because, believe it or not, the way you answer those questions will then determine a lot of other answers in theology. So they're really, really important that we get them straight. So we have these councils kind of addressing those uh, issues about Jesus, but constantly um, associated with these councils were other questions related to church authority. You know, who gets to decide uh, whether this is accurate? Who gets to determine what an ecumenical council is? How do we know which council is authoritative or not? And so there were constantly questions about authority in relation to these other uh, Christology questions. And what comes up in these ecumenical councils is the role of the Pope. And in fact, if you look at maybe the Sixth Ecumenical Council, which is in the year 680 to 681, uh, you have a letter written to the council by the Pope himself. The Pope didn't attend. He sent uh, representatives, but he did not attend it himself. Um, And in his letter... This is Pope Agatho writing to the emperor, and it's read out loud at the council. He asserts very clearly that the papacy, the pope, uh, is an office established by Jesus, and that it has teaching authority from Jesus, and that it will not defect from the faith in its teachings, and that it will remain undefiled in its teachings unto the very end. And the, the council there, which is largely made up of Eastern bishops, the council accepted that letter. They embraced it fully. So here you kind of have an instance where um, a proto-version of papal infallibility is being accepted by these Eastern bishops at an ecumenical council that the Orthodox accept even to this day. The problem is uh, Orthodox today reject papal infallibility and the role of the Pope as understood by Catholics. So there's an internal inconsistency here. Um, because a council that they embrace, and this is just one of several, um, teaches something that is fundamentally at odds with, with, with what they're currently saying about the Pope. Um, and this is why I say Orthodox have to embrace their own tradition fully. You know, Catholics are not requiring Orthodox to uh, adhere to something new. You know, I think the Catholic Church is basically just saying, hey, embrace your own roots and your own tradition that affirms the papacy. And uh, then we can end the, the separation and schism. That's a great point, I think, and that's uh, really so important to know know our history, to know the past. I think very often in the conversations we have today, uh, we're basing our, what we're saying upon something we've heard in a soundbite uh, on the media or in social 
uh, you know, social media, something that we've seen or read, and we don't really know the facts. Even, you know, even uh, the most recent document from Pope Francis um, on blessings, uh, a very simple document that is very easy to read, very easy to understand. Um, and there's all sorts of conversation about how he's changing the teachings of the church, and he's not. Uh, and so it's just you have to read the, go back to the root, read what's going on there, um, and, and move forward. But, but we're, I think to some degree we're maybe, maybe this is harsh, but we're a little bit lazy, uh, a little bit lazy, and we just kind of want to go from those talking points a lot easier to move forward from there rather than going back to the roots. And as in a conversation we had uh, last hour with Devin Schott, Michael, we were talking with him about men's retreats, but he mentioned that sometimes we don't want to enter into, we don't want to study too deep because we might be afraid of what we might find or enter in that conversation with the Lord. We might be afraid that he might say something to us that we don't really want to hear, um, and we might have to make a change. And that's the challenge. Yeah. And I, I assume that during your journey at some point, Michael, you probably experienced some of those feelings like, um, maybe I should stop before I go so far that now I have to make a change. Did you have, ever have that experience? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, and, and um, you know, it's, it's important to kind of look at the guardrails that Jesus' teaching authority has established there, and it lets you know, hey, not to transgress now, some of these lines here. Here's what you are to believe. Here's what is right here's what is wrong and, and you don't want to cross that line because once you do that i mean um you know the you, you're you're starting to question christianity as a whole so yeah i've certainly been there and i know you mentioned uh, some of these early early uh, ecumenical councils that they were part of i assume uh that part of the conversation there was about uh, mary um and really her immaculate conception and and uh her basically her state in being the mother of Mary. Talk to us a little about the differences there between the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church. Yeah, so in the first seven ecumenical councils, um, Mary does come up on occasion, especially in relation to the question of whether or not she's the mother of God. Uh, and the answer is yes. Now, she's not the mother of God, meaning that somehow uh, she is God uh, herself and she eternally created God or something. That's, of course, not what is meant. Uh, but what is meant by her being mother of God is the one that she gave birth to 2,000 years ago uh, is the second person of the Trinity, a divine person. Um, so that certainly comes up in the ecumenical councils, but one question that doesn't really come up in these first seven councils is um, whether or not Mary uh, sinned and whether or not she uh, contracted what's called original sin. And in Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, because they don't really have a magisterium that can uh, settle these questions universally for the Orthodox, since they no longer have the Pope, there there's kind of a question mark on, on issues like original sin and the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, uh, which states that the Virgin Mary is free from the stain of original sin. So because they still are struggling with the question of original sin, they also struggle with the question of the Virgin Mary in relation to sin, to an extent. Uh, they'll certainly say that Mary did not actively commit any sins, but whether or not she's subject to the fall and contracted original sin is a different question. Um, but what we do tend to find in the Eastern tradition uh, is, is at least an emphasis that um, the Virgin Mary is in some way unblemished. In some way, she's different than the rest of us. 
but they haven't really teased that out in the kind of detail that the Catholic Church has. And so that is kind of a sticking point. Some of them object to the Immaculate Conception. Um, however, ironically, in the last few hundred years prior to this being a, uh, a dogma in the Catholic Church, being defined as a dogma, you know, the Orthodox tended to embrace the Immaculate Conception, but as soon as the Pope infallibly defined it, that's when they started to really react against it. Uh, so some of these concerns that they have are more reactions um, due to the fact that they don't like papal infallibility more than they are because they're trying to preserve a certain tradition about the Virgin Mary. Isn't that an interesting commentary on uh, the human person and uh, our willingness to submit, as it were, be under the mission of, submission is the word under the mission of Christ and his church, that uh, as soon as there is a little bit of obedience required, especially us Americans don't really like that word, obedience, uh, that we kind of react, even though, well, I, I believe that, but now that you said it, I don't believe it anymore. Um, it, I think it is a, a really kind of a, a, a place that we can probably stop with the Lord, <laughs> maybe in our uh, uh, our reflections on, on our sin in our own lives, and ask the Lord, Maybe uh, maybe some of my reactions are more that that that's, I do really believe this, but I don't want to be told uh, this. Well, I'm leaving this conversation, and thank you so much for this. Uh, uh, you know, the magisterium, the papacy, is something that we don't often think about in our daily spiritual life, but just just the the, the blessing that that is for us as as Catholics uh, to keep us in between the in, in the rails, uh, to keep us uh, seeking truth and and and, and ha- having truth in our lives uh like i said it's just not something i, I think about very often but as you talk it's um, there's a greater appreciation for it thank you well michael we I'm just got a, about 30 seconds here to the to the the break here uh, any thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners oh well thank, thank y'all so much for having me I, I would again encourage everybody to get a copy of the book answering orthodoxy best place to get it is shop.catholic.com all right, shop.catholic.com, and that is Catholic Answers' uh, website there. So again, Michael Lofton, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and uh, have a blessed and a very Merry Christmas. You too, Merry Christmas. It was an honor. All right, folks, this is Real Presence Live. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue our conversation here. We're going to talk about a Catholic university that is in Italy, um, but it's an American Uh, really American University in Italy where you can learn all sorts of technical skills. So we're going to come and talk about on that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. This is Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live where the focus is not on the evil around us but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. What if you could earn a degree that offers the best of both worlds, an MBA and a master's degree in philosophy? The University of Mary offers one degree that combines world-class business training with a careful study of life's deepest questions through their combined MBA, MA, and philosophy program. By earning one degree in both philosophy and business online, you will rigorously engage the big ideas needed to address professional challenges. Visit catholicprofessional.life. 
This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. The Gospel records in Luke chapter 4 that at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth and stuns, absolutely stuns, his relatives and neighbors by his authoritative preaching. The good people of Nazareth are so taken aback that they wind up trying to throw him off a cliff and stone him. Even Jesus' capacity to perform signs and wonders was limited by the suspicions and hostile expectations of Nazareth. Not much of a reception from the people who should have known him best. Now think about this. If this happened to Jesus, how much more will it happen to us as we faithfully follow in his footsteps as disciples? Do not be discouraged by sarcasm, hostility, or even persecution by family and friends. The Lord will sustain you in your Christian life, even amid persecution. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear... Give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope.